Give it a nudge and see if it'll go one more time. Oh, yes it is. It's running full speed ahead already. It's called the Midday Program on the Rural Radio Network. Full of information for you. And that's why it's so hard to get started sometimes. It's just chock full of facts, information, and stuff you need to know. It will leave you behind, though. It will. That's true. If you're not prepared and ready to go. If you're not on the bus. I always tell people in radio, especially for you, you're behind the control board here. It's a race against the clock. It is. And the clock never loses. No. The clock never has a bad day. Absolutely true. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, continue the race here. You know, it's uh, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And yeah. we are into August, which I can personally hardly believe we're already in August. I don't know where July went or June for that matter. But since we are in August, we have the latest agriculture economy barometer. And in this taking a look at july and it was the highest level since january and we'll talk about what was included in that what the producer sentiment is out in the united states also we'll get some audio about the house agriculture committee having discussions on the farm bill House and Senate Ag Committees are ramping those up as we continue to get closer to 2018. For the 12-19, Dewey Nelson is going to be joined with Dean Hefta, Director of Water Street Solutions. Their topic today is the freedoms and opportunities of farming. For the newsmaker, Susan Littlefield is joined with Pam Johnson, who is the current president of Mazal. They talk about the global need to promote agriculture, just not here within the United States, but globally. And then for the 117, Susan Littlefield, she has some information about both governors from Nebraska and Iowa are among others that are talking at the EPA biofuel hearing that is going on today. I think they spoke a little bit earlier on this morning. Big topic. Thanks yes. very much, Jess. Appreciate it. Jason Jorgensen, looks like uh, things are gearing up pretty fast in the old gridiron world, too. It is. It's MIAA Football Media Day today in Kansas City. Preseason predictions have come out. No surprise here. Northwest Missouri is the favorite to win that league again. Of course, they're coming up a Did national I, championship. Did I hear a cheer just come up from the newsroom? Uh, might have. Yeah. Might have with their own uh, Brandon Bennett's uh, there. But we'll uh, let's hear what UNK head coach Josh Lynn has to say about trying to get the Lopers more competitive in that league. Also, we will hear from one of Nebraska's senior leaders. Huskers do not have a whole lot of seniors on this year's team. One of them is kicker Drew Brown. We will get his thoughts about that. And boy, was there some wheeling and dealing in Major League Baseball yesterday. 14 deals happened before the deadline. So there's a lot of players getting used to new teammates today across Major League Baseball. And some teams like the Dodgers just strengthen themselves and you have to wonder, will they ever lose again? Don't talk like that. Hmm? Don't talk like that. Of course, I'm being facetious, but they want to make sure this time that they don't fall short in the playoffs. That has been the problem. Mm -hmm. They're pretty good in the regular season, then issues in the postseason. Move over to Bob Brogan to find out what's happening in business. Some solid earnings reports are driving stock indexes higher. Banks are posting some of the biggest gains. A survey suggests more growth ahead for the Midwest economy, and that is coming from the Mid-America Business Conditions Index. Also, factories expand, and construction spending is declining. And uh, one other footnote, U.S. sales of new cars and trucks showed some declines in July. 
So those are the things that uh, are driving the markets today. All right. Thank you, Bob. And a reminder for those of you listening in, many of these stations will be bringing you a rural radio forum today, Nebraska Rural Health, the topic today, beginning at 3 until 4 p.m. on your stations of the Rural Radio Network. Let's bring Paul Perkins into the conversation here. Ag weather is brought to you by Coolman Repair. And it just stays cool. Yes, and you've heard that phrase, stuck in the middle. Of course, that song, stuck in the middle. Stuck in the middle with you. And you know what happens when you are stuck in the middle? A lot of things come at you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a lot of things. There's no escape. Continue. Yeah, exactly. A lot of things continue to come down the pike as we remain stuck in the middle of a high-pressure ridge to our west and low-pressure trough to the east, that south a northwesterly flow with some disturbances dropping southeast, uh, leaving us stuck in the middle with a lot of weather variations over the next few days, mainly on the cooler side and also some scattered thunderstorm chances. Some scattered thunderstorms possible later today in northwest and north-central Nebraska. The leftovers of those non-severe storms will be dropping to the southeast tonight. Temperatures today and tomorrow remaining once again just below what we usually see for daytime highs this time of year. Usually in central Nebraska, we make it into the upper 80s. We'll probably just be below that. Right now we do have temperatures in the mid-70s to around 80 in many locations, at least across the southern two-thirds of Nebraska and northern Kansas. A little bit warmer, though, as you head into northern areas of Nebraska, some low and mid-80s, including as warm right now as 86 already in the Valentine area. Our best chance of more widespread rain coming up tomorrow night and again then Friday night and Saturday. Some thunderstorms expected along a cold front for tomorrow night. Those storms not a lock right now, but they and they will be more isolated the farther southwest you go. Behind that front, going to be a noticeable difference in our air. Cooler and less humid air, almost fall-like as we head for Thursday and Friday. And in many locations, probably overnight lows into the low 50s. The front lifts back to the north early this weekend for some more thunderstorm chances. Also, the return of that warmer and more humid air. It won't get too warm, though. In the long-term forecast, a high likelihood currently of cooler than normal temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through August 14th. In fact, much of the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. should be cooler than normal during that time. Above normal rainfall in the forecast for Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through August 14th. Weather factors the market watchers are considering include a new round of rain predicted for the western Midwest in this next week and continued rain chances for the southern plains. Rain associated with this southwest monsoon moisture could total about one to three inches across the southern Rockies into the southern high plains. A strong cold front accompanied by some thunderstorms will bring another round of below normal temperatures to the eastern two-thirds of the U.S., that contrasts with the record-breaking heat wave the rest of the week across the northwest. Some all-time record highs could be in jeopardy there. Just how much rain will fall the next seven days in the western Midwest will be watched since previous rain predictions did not exactly pan out, and there are concerns in the western Midwest for reduced crop production. Continued rain and below normal temperatures this week will benefit the stressed grow crops across the southern plains. Before that rain, topsoil moisture was rated 70% very short to short in Oklahoma and 64% very short to short in Texas. Only a few showers are forecast for the northern plains. Little to no rain in the forecast for the hard-hit drought areas of the western northern plains. Right now, Montana leads the U.S. with topsoil moisture rated 96% very short to short. There is some beneficial rain falling in northeast China, but most of the rain has eluded the primary soybean growing areas. In key wheat areas of western and southeast Australia, 
and important rain occurred. Rainfall deficits have been the worst in five years in many of those regions of Australia. I'll tell you what, that's one of the most interesting weather maps that I've seen recently, temperature-wise. 88 at winter, 86 <laughs> at Valentine, 71 at North Platte, and 80 by the time you get down into northern Kansas again. Yeah, and usually it doesn't... It, lately, it's been that way, of yeah, course, because, because like Valentine has had those temperatures up above 110 yeah. a few times this year. Threading the needle in here in <laughs> central Nebraska. Yeah. Those of you without precipitation, boy, we really feel for you. Mm-hmm. And the very hot conditions. But anyway, we will see things begin to change here by the time we get through the weekend. For weather anytime, krbn.com. agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. The House Agriculture Committee continues to hear from those in agriculture and how the 2018 Farm Bill will affect their operation. Susan Littlefield has more. Called Conversations in the Field. The Farm Bill listening session took place in San Angelo, Texas. The chairman of the House Ag Committee is Mike Conaway from Texas. He said a lot of passion came from those who spoke to the committee. I was surprised uh, somewhat at the, at, the, at the sharing of the heart. I mean, it, it's one thing to say, hey, leave this program there, you know, chew this deal, but to talk about the impact it has, the, the families that have, have had to get out of farming and the, and the disappointments associated with it uh, as a result of these uh, current hard economic times that were coming on, that's hard for these folks to share like that. And I was impressed that uh, you really had people sharing with their hearts. I don't know if anybody else had a... The chairman says that they are taking everybody's remarks back with them to Washington, D.C. as they continue to craft the 2018 Farm Bill. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. During the listening session, Conaway said that work on the farm bill will start over the next eight weeks or so and that he wants to bring the bill on the floor of the House in the fourth quarter of 2017 because he dislikes the turmoil of extensions. The 2014 farm bill will expire on September 30th of 2018. Farmer sentiment about the agriculture economy climbed to 139 in July. That's the highest level since January, according to the Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. The barometer's two sub-indexes were also higher in July, with the index of current conditions rising from 132 in June to 142 in July, and the index of future expectations climbing to 131 in June to 138 in July. Jim Miner at the barometer's principal investigator and director of Purdue University Center of Commercial Agriculture said that key factor contributing to more positive outlook among the agriculture producers included expectations for higher prices of key commodities. As part of the most recent Ag Economy Barometer survey, producers were asked if they anticipated higher or lower prices for grain, cotton, and oilseed in the next 12 months. And Tyson Foods has settled a 10-year-old class action lawsuit that will disperse nearly $6 million, more than 3,900 current and former employees of the Northwest Iowa Pork Plant. The Sioux City Journal reports that Storm Lake employees sued in 2007 to collect back pay for the time they spent putting on and taking off protective work clothes and equipment before and after their work shifts. 
The Sioux City Federal Jury ruled in favor of the workers in 2011, a decision the Eighth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals upheld in 2014. Tyson appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the court rejected the company's appeal in March of 2016 to limit work and pay in workplace issues. Tyson spokesman says that each worker will receive about $1,700. An Alliance for the Future of Agriculture Nebraska joined in the effort to thank Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, who recently visited a Norman family on their 2,500-acre cattle ranch in South Dakota. Zuckerberg had also previously visited the Grant family in Wisconsin on their beef and dairy cattle operations, sharing stories of of his accounts on social media. The reflection on both members, Zuckerberg spoke positively about the family farms and their hard work. That's been a look at agriculture information. For more, you can find it anytime by visiting RollRadio.com. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. The freedoms and opportunities of farming. That's what we'll discuss with Dean Hefta, Director, Water Street Solutions. What are some of those freedoms and opportunities, Dean? Well, you know, leading the farm and and being a farmer can come with uh, a lot of opportunities and a lot of freedom. And when we're uh, running our own business, we get to set our schedule and, you know, we get to experience a lot of variety in what we're doing each day. And we might be grateful for those opportunities. and, And for some of us, those are a lot of the reasons why we got into farming in the first place. It might be the the passion that we have for the land and the dedication we have for carrying on our family's tradition of farming. Maybe we've never wanted to do anything else. But with any freedom, there's responsibilities that come with it. And for a farm leader, there's that responsibility to guide and direct the operation into you know that best possible future, which can bring with it uh, some burden and, and some stress. Dean, what can that stress look like? So the flip side of freedom is the fact that we're in charge of deciding what to do. We have to determine where it is that we're going to lead the operation to. And so that sense of freedom and responsibility can lead the leader to begin asking some questions of themselves. Like, how do I know if I'm making the right decision to uh, make my farm more successful? Uh, what's the information that I need to make better financial decisions for the operation? What should we be considering when we're making major decisions? Buying land and buying equipment, things like that. Uh, how do I know when the next generation on my farm is ready to step up and take on more leadership? So if you've ever asked yourself these questions, you can know that you're not alone. Many farmers that have this sense of responsibility to themselves, uh, to others in the operation, to those that went before them, you know, can drive them to want to steward and lead the business in the best possible way they can. They want to make sure they're making those best decisions now because it can have so much impact on the generations to come. How can we start answering some of those questions that you mentioned, Dean? So the farm leader has the opportunity to be really proactive around how they go about ensuring the future they want for the operation. That can mean making a commitment to really getting the right information and the good data that we can use when we're leading that farm by the numbers. Really just just better information that can lead to better leadership. It might mean that we look at the current leadership strengths and the weaknesses of the next generation. Who is it that is out there that can step up and fill that leadership need that we're going to need to carry it into the next 
gener- into the into the future. And what are the skills? And what are the experiences? And what are the training that's going to be needed for them? Maybe it's even working on the skills that we have ourselves. And how do we develop our ability to build better relationships with lenders and landlords? I believe the the best farmers really acknowledge that those feelings of responsibility really come from not only the freedom, but the opportunity that we have in farming. Then they use that to really propel themselves toward more dedication and really start analyzing, what can I do right now to bring a better and even more successful future to the operation? Think about what your next step might be in building the future that you want in your operation. And you can discuss that with, you know, uh, even our advisors. We have those conversations as we go planning with our farms about that future. If you have more questions about this or any other topic, go to waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time for sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the MIAA has released its preseason football coaches and media poll for the upcoming year. Those polls were released this morning as part of MIAA Media Day. The coaches poll... UNK was picked to finish 12th after winning one game a year ago. New head coach Josh Lynn talks about trying to turn things around in Kearney. The situation of our program, and I think these guys, is, you know, be realistic with ourselves. In the same token, we need to go out and we need to go outwork people. And be through preparation comes hard work. As we move into this season, uh, you know, I think, I think Sam said it best, go in there and chop wood. You know, take it day by day and uh, have a real, realistic expectation of, of our football team and our, and our parameters. And, Two-time defending national champion Northwest Missouri State is first as they picked up nine out of the 12 first-place votes. Emporia, last year's regional runner-up, is second with Central Missouri third. UNK kicks off its season on Thursday, September 1st at home against Missouri Western. Wayne State football program is picked to finish 12th in the NSIC this season. The Wildcats are coming off a 3-8 and campaign and an 11th place tie in the league a year ago. Wayne State opens up its year at Northern State on Thursday, August 31st. Well, Nebraska senior kicker Drew Brown is getting set for his final go-around with the Huskers, and he's looking forward to being more of a leader this fall with the Big Red. I mean, we lost a lot of seniors last year as well, and you know, we have a small class, and obviously not this season, but the next season, they're going to have a lot of returning guys. But uh, we take it, we take it personally. I mean, like, you know, we don't want to end our season on a bad note just because we don't have a lot of seniors, just because we don't have a lot of experience. We want to be able to be that those leaders on the team that have been through coaching changes. We've been through you know, different changes, as many as you could possibly think of. And uh, we need to be the, the leaders of the team for sure. Brown is returning for his senior season after holding down the place-kicking duties for the past three seasons. Brown has earned all-conference honors each out of the past two years and goes into this year as a leading contender for the Lou Groves Award and all-conference and national accolades. And a lot of clubhouses will have new looks today, a day after 14 deals involving big leaguers at the trade deadline. Star pitchers Hugh Darvish and Sonny Gray changed teams, as did a number of big-time relievers. The Dodgers with the best record in the majors and the highest payroll added Darvish to the rotation and former Husker Tony Watson to their bullpen. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly sunny today, highs in the upper 80s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Nebraska Public Service Commission will hold a hearing on the Keystone XL Pipeline application August 7th through the 11th at the Lincoln Marriott Cornhusker Hotel. 
The hearing before the commission is an evidentiary hearing with witness testimony, cross-examination, and exhibits presented. Retired Lancaster County District Judge Karen Flowers will preside over the proceeding. There will be no decision made at the end of the hearing. A formal written decision will be released by the commission at a later date. A grand jury will investigate the death of a Saunders County jail inmate who a sheriff says declined some medical treatment. Authorities say 45-year-old Robert Imus died in a hospital Saturday evening after being found unresponsive in a cell. Nebraska law requires a grand jury investigation whenever someone dies in custody. Imus had been arrested in Dodge County on drug charges Wednesday. Saunders County Sheriff Kevin Stukenholz said that Imus refused to eat or take insulin for his diabetes while in the Fremont Jail. The sheriff says Imus was taken to a hospital where doctors declared him fit for confinement at the Saunders County Jail, which holds Dodge County inmates detained longer than 24 hours. Stukenholz says Imus eventually ate and consented to treatment, but then took ill on Saturday. The Kansas Highway Patrol says two people were killed when the plane in which they were in crashed near an airport in Topeka, Kansas. The patrol says the victims of the crash shortly before 8.30 last evening were 61-year-old pilot William Leeds of Topeka and his 55-year-old coal pilot James Bergman of Leewood. Both men died at the scene. The 1965 Piper PA-30 fixed-wing multi-engine airplane went down near Philip Billard Municipal Airport. The patrol says the aircraft appeared to miss the runway and hit the ground at a high rate of speed. After impact, the aircraft turned about 180 degrees and came to rest in a grass field. Federal investigators were expected to help determine what caused the crash. The U.S. Senate's top Democrat says President Donald Trump's threats to block federal payments to insurers are not what an adult does and would boost consumers' premiums. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer made the comments as Washington ways to see if Trump will halt the expenditures. President Barack Obama's law requires insurers to lower out-of-pocket costs for millions of lower- and middle-income consumers. Trump has continued the payments until now. We want your news, video, and photos. Tip us under the News tab at krvn.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. They say that strength comes in numbers, especially when you're talking about a product that is growing throughout the world, like corn. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I caught up with Pam Johnson, a producer from Iowa, who is the new president of Maisal. So for anybody that knows about trade associations like the National Corn Grower Association, Maisal is an international alliance of corn grower associations from Argentina, Brazil, and then the National Corn Grower Association and the U.S. Grains Council. And it got started when the officers of Grains Council and NCGA did a mission to South America to, quote, study the competition. And when we went down there, as we talked to their farmers and their leaders in their corn grower associations, we found out we had a lot of issues in common and thought it could we move the needle faster and more if we would work together? And so that's how Maison got started. How important, I mean, an event like this, like Corn Congress, for you to kind of share the global perspective with your counterparts from all across the nation? 
Well, for me, to be able to bring the voice of Maisal to both the National Corn Grower meetings and the U.S. Grains Council meetings and talk to farmers is, um, I'm fortunate because I've been able to learn a lot and to share that perspective from a global perspective about um, you know, the United States, Argentina, Brazil, we raise 50% of the world's corn and we grow, we are 75% of the world's exportable grain. And it's kind of a unique concept for people, countries who are uh, serious competitors to work together pre-competitively. But it really makes sense here because if we work together as we go and speak at China at the Food Security Summit or whether it's at the World Trade Organization or the UNFAO, when we walk in together both as developed and developing countries and bring the voice of the farmer to the discussion where before it, the voice was good but it was only government and industry to industry, it has a big impact. It's a great opportunity, I think, for you to really be able to share the news, but then to be able to educate folks even more about what's happening globally that they might not see from their own cornfield. Right, and then so people always ask me, so what do you do? So our mission is basically so that grain can move from areas of surplus to areas in the world that need it. And so we work on trade barriers, and we work on um, biotechnology issues and regulatory processes that approve traits around the world in countries that want to import grain so that there aren't any trade barriers and that so there can be that free trade. And we also work on regulatory processes in our own country. So now we're... Um, have a, a real push on or a real priority to work on harmonization of regulatory processes in Argentina, Brazil, so they match up and so the U.S. can also. What's your next big project with Maisel? Yeah, well this winter we, we hosted together a, a delegation of parliamentarians from Uganda and they wanted to see in Argentina and Brazil what it looked like to have a biosafety protocol law so that their farmers, their farmers are uh, facing a severe drought and their consumers are facing starvation. So they wanted to see what they could do so that they could not only grow crops that include better genetic traits, but they also in times of need could import it. And so we just found out this week that after that mission, they have just, they've gone back, did a lot of work, but that has just been passed. So for us, that's huge. Um, not that maybe we'll ever sell a, a kernel of corn there, but to have an important voice in Africa with a different um, mindset about the need to make sure that grain can flow in when people need it is, is big for us. And we think they can be a catalyst to help other governments in Africa kind of change and develop their own laws. I think it's an incredible opportunity for farmers to have a voice around the world and this has allowed uh, the United States farmer to have a voice in what's going on in regulatory processes and be able to think creatively and out of the box to work with other countries and move the needle and not saying there isn't a lot of work to do but we can see that we've made some advances so uh, we're all encouraged to move forward and I I was just elected president of Maisal last week in Argentina as we had a board meeting. So we're really excited now that we've done some uh, strategizing and prioritizing. So we want to up our game and hit the ground running. Johnson said being a producer gives her the opportunity to see the importance of what Maisal does 
on a daily basis. Now, they're committed to three areas of focus, communicating the benefits of modern agricultural production methods and technologies, addressing the approval of biotech products, and promoting some regulatory harmonization throughout the world. And she said that the members do recognize that the world's population continues to grow and that the global middle class is growing even faster and that global food demand will challenge producers of all commodities in all countries in the years ahead. Those are my conversation with Pam Johnson, who is the new president of Maisal, also happens to be a past president of the National Corn Growers Association. She's from Iowa. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Time for our li- closing livestock futures report here on the Roll Radio Network. Joe Gang was joined by Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. Joe, we had a stronger uh, finish on the cattle, lower though today in hogs. Kind of accelerated things in the cattle uh, as we got past noon. What was up there? Well, I, I think uh, a lot of expectations for uh, higher priced cattle uh, this week. The uh, cutouts came out just a little bit better at noon, and that uh, that was one of the uh, catalysts that would help. And then uh, the expectations uh, have, are, are running pretty high, uh, based upon uh, things I've some of the analysts that uh, have put out uh, uh, their information. They're all looking for a better market, so that helped. In the feeders, it was uh, a lot to do with the grain too. Uh, grains uh, sharply lower, and you know that uh, that didn't put anything in a bad light. You know, and the other consideration is we're discount with cattle and with feeders, so you're trying to close the gap between the uh, cash and the uh, and the futures. So all of that combined, I think, gave us uh, a fairly decent rally for the day. Then you turn to the hogs, and boy, it just uh, another one of those days. Uh, cash seems to be still uh, waffling and and uh, weakening. And uh, cutouts were down again today at noon, so that uh, put a little bit of pressure on the uh, on the hogs. Despite the fact that they're a deep discount, uh, uh, when you look uh, out into the uh, uh, back months, boy, we are really discount to current cash, even though it's coming down. But uh, kind of a weak day for uh, for the hogs, but a firm day for the cattle. All right, thanks, Joe. For more information from Joe Teal, eight hundred three two eight. 0134. An environmental protection agency hearing is taking place today in Washington, D.C., a hearing on the proposed 2018 targets under the renewable fuel standards. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. One set to testify is Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts. Ethanol is important for our country that it is one of the key things that will help us be able to grow our country and create jobs all across our great country. In 2016, more than 10% of all the finished gasoline sold in the United States was made up of ethanol. This helps us lower the price of gasoline and, importantly, helps us become less reliant on foreign oil. That's a big deal. Ethanol also is something that's important for improving the quality of our air by replacing more expensive and more polluting carcinogenic aromatics that are otherwise added to gasoline to meet high octane requirements. And as we're talking about cars that can increasingly look for those high octane fuels, ethanol is a great way to make sure that we've got a less expensive, cleaner, safer alternative to those hydrocarbons. 
So this is important to our country to be able to make us less reliant on foreign oil, to lower prices, and to be able to help keep the environment clean. The second thing I want to really hit upon is that I really commend the EPA for its on-time proposal. The importance of creating certainty and stability in the marketplace can't be overstated. The worst thing for business is uncertainty. And by releasing these volume proposals in a timely manner, this allows for planning by business and creates a stability in the marketplace. So I really want to commend the EPA and really encourage them to finalize this on schedule in November. With regard to the proposal themselves, we're very encouraged about the continued 15 billion gallon of conventional biofuels to meet the RFS requirements. I think that I think that's absolutely critical. When you're talking about the advanced biofuels, I think it's a mistake to go backwards with regard to those targets. One of the things we've seen in the past is by not meeting the timely um, uh, schedules for releasing volumes and setting those and so forth is we create uncertainty and so businesses don't invest. When you create these, when you create certainty, businesses will invest and this biofuels industry has demonstrated when you set the targets high, the industry will make those targets. And so by going backwards, I think it does send a bad sign that says uh, that we're not going to have the market there. But if you kept those things high, industry would invest and figure out ways to meet those goals. Kim Reynolds, who is governor of the state of Iowa, also sees the importance of ethanol to her state. Certainly, uh, as a governor of the mid, of a Midwest state, I've been a long, uh, passionate supporter of biofuels, and we certainly understand how crucial and a robust RFS is to our farmers and really um, the entire Iowa economy. The RFS plays a major role in sustaining our ability to continue our leadership in ag, giving uh, it gives our farmers another market for their commodities. In fact, about 3.5% or $4.6 billion of Iowa's GDP was tri- has been tied directly to the renewable fuels industry in 2015. It equates to about 43,000 jobs for Iowans. Um, and especially as we've experienced the uh, downturn in the ag economy, a sustainable and predictable renewable fuel markets is just incredibly important for the bottom line of farmers in rural Iowa. Once finalized, the EPA's targets will impact America's choice at the pump, the rural economy, U.S. energy security, and the environment, all taking place today in Washington, D.C. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Radio Network, time for our uh, glo- closing grain market analysis with John Payne, Senior Market Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. So, John, we kind of got the specifics on why we were lower today, but still the uh, farmers listening out there kind of scratching their heads after today's trade. Yeah, I think you just got hit with a double whammy. Obviously, last night's crop conditions report, I'd say it's super bearish. I mean, I think, you know, looking at it over the last two weeks, we're down 2%. So you can look at it two ways. You can say, well, we're up off the 4% break from, from two weeks ago, but, uh, you know, the conditions are still, I guess, trending lower. Um, I think the forecasts that are, that are going to come out, and really Nebraska is kind of right in the crosshairs of this really, really cool low-pressure system that's going to sit over the Midwest for the next couple of weeks. And, you know, you guys, I know you've been dealing with some heat, but I think it could turn really cool where you maybe even struggle to get above, say, mid-80s on some days. So I'm sure folks out there running irrigation 24-7 are ready for that break, but the markets uh, certainly like it as well. Um, and I think it's just a liquidation play. You look at crude oil down. Um, a lot of the commodities that have rallied the last couple of weeks are lower. And um, I think that's a big reason why we're down, not just the, the fundamentals of the grain markets. 
We talked about this at noon, but any damage done on the soybean charts uh, now that we did solidify that close? Well, yeah, I mean, we broke out of that level there around 984. It really kind of suctioned down to 970. I think we'll probably see this thing fall all the way down. I'm sure you've had guys come on and talk about that gap there, 950, uh, 960 area. I think that's probably where we're headed shorter term. I would not be selling on these breaks. I, I think you've got to shut it down if, if you're, uh, you're tempted to do that. Um, market should should turn around here at some point. We USDA report on the horizon. Um, you know the yields that we're getting aren't going to be anything that I think is going to really push the market. But in the short run, and I'm talking over the next 30 days, I don't expect some big pop here. Uh, folks who have to sell are going to have to move it into a market that's essentially flooded with grain. And then I think once we get past the 31st of August, and then we're in the first notice day for September uh, delivery, which is a lot of that old crop. I think the bin doors shut again, and we wait until uh, you know a price rally in August, October, and beyond. And that's kind of what we've seen in the last couple of years. So um, while I'm not super bullish at these levels, I, I, I don't think you should be chasing this thing down the rabbit hole. Give it a couple of days. I, th- I think we'll see another run, run above the $10 or soybeans. So would you say that really emphasizes then this August 10th report coming up? Yes and no. I mean, I think the August 10th report certainly is important. It's going to show us where we're going to start on this stuff, but, you know, It'll be important in September, and it'll be important when we get into the end of the year reports at the end of September and into October. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of price risk still on the table. I think this is all about liquidation. Funds essentially shorten this thing, and we'll bounce at some point. Daniel's Ag Services in Chicago is where you can find John Payne. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. This is the Rural Radio Network.